0: Let's talk about that because I, I um, John. I mean, so.
1: But even now, even though I know the truth, I now even now I, you know I have so many people around me that are just. They think I'm nuts. They think I'm nuts. It's like, you're educated, Carly. You're you have a, you are smart and educated. Right. I even listened to the... I, I've gone back and listened to all the... Uh, you know, the guy that came from... The book writer guy that came and did the... Uh, gosh, what was it called? Um... um
0: Doing the oh, right thing? Uh,
1: no, 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 no. The, the guy that speaks against the atheist people. Okay, the yeah. The, figures, life after death kind the, of the apologetic
0: stuff. Uh, I don't know who you're talking King. about. He William Craig or... Uh, wrote, wrote,
1: wrote
0: no, it's... Uh, the, he
1: came and did a big deal here at Walmart. Yeah. I missed it. It was on a... Uh,
0: I know what you're talking about, but
1: midnight. just... I was missed
0: it, too.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, but... I did, well, as well. Uh, Because Todd mentioned it in one of the services, so I went back and listened to it, because it's a lot about... Um, life after death kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was really good. It was, it was incredible. And I just... I'm trying to be really strong right? and walk with God again and, and I just feel like everybody around me is pulling me in different directions and trying to make me doubt all the time. You know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's crazy. So I'm trying not to. But I still do sometimes thinking that, you know...
0: What if I am What if I am crazy? <laughs> uh, yep. No, I'm not no, no, no! It's uh, Carly. It's not. It's not terrible. Um, you know, some some of the most encouraging. Uh, you know, sometimes we need to stop and think, um, and be able to relate with some of the people of of the Bible, and, and one of the things. Uh, that we want, uh, I want to make sure that you, that you don't do is that um, comparison, one, is the thief of joy always. Because either we look at someone, even within the church, who has it all together, um, whether it be in, in their knowledge of God's Word or in how they're living or behaving. And so we think, we question ourselves and say, you know, maybe this isn't for me or maybe this isn't me because I'm looking at someone else. Or we can go the opposite direction and be welled up with pride. Uh, what do you... Inform mom. Oh,
3: go ahead.
0: To okay. or, or we can be uh, welled up in pride um, and look at someone below us and say, you know, like, like the Pharisee in, in the Gospel says, hey, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this person. You know, that I'm not thinking this way or I'm not living this way which is also just kind of uh, false, you know, and, and we can take confidence even in the midst of kind of questioning and struggling through belief um, is that we, we look at Peter who was determined called the rock of the church. Like he, he was the rock of the early church and he, he denied Christ, you know, and in Christ's moment of quote-unquote need of his friends and of his followers, you know, he denied him three times and said, you know, hey, I don't know this man. And, and, and I think Christ came back to Peter just like John is wanting to come back to this church and wanting to come to us today. He's after Peter denied him three times, Christ comes to Peter three times and wants to assure him, you know, and, and also spur him on to continue living well and ask him three times, you know, hey, Peter, do you love me? You know, and, and Peter says, like, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my lambs. And then Jesus again says, do you love me? And then you, you can feel Peter saying, hey, you know all things. You know, you know that I love you. And he says, okay, shepherd my flock. You know, and want to take... Um, we don't want to allow Peter's denial to say, okay, let's give us license to continue to, to walk in these ways, but to say, okay, Peter, the one that was walking with Christ had a season of denying. The apostles who were walking with Christ, when Christ was crucified, they all fled. They all left except for John. John was the only one that stayed by His side. Okay? And those are the people who who went out and proclaimed and built the church. You know, we look at uh, Mark 18. There's a man who comes to Jesus and uh, says, Hey, my, my daughter is sick. Um, you know, will you? Can you heal her? And, and Jesus says, "Hey, do you believe? And, and believe in it; it will be so." And, and the man says, "You know, I believe, but help my unbelief." And so I think sometimes God wants us to come before Him and, and for us to be honest, first and foremost, with Him and say, "God, I'm struggling with this aspect of who You are. I'm struggling with the reality that You can forgive me." And he says, and he wants us to come and say, and he wants us to be honest and say, Lord, I, I struggle with this, you know, the idea that you could forgive me for denying you. And he also wants us to, in turn, and, and take the, the truth of our heart and what's going on, and be honest to God and be honest to other people, and then also attack that truth or that that, that falsehood and that disbelief with truth. with, yeah, with because
1: I find now if I. If I go a day without doing my morning Bible study routine or quiet time and mm-hmm. prayer with God, I find it's a lot easier to get through the day. And, and if I don't do it, it seems like I start getting feeling distant again. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean that really does help. I know that's and but then everybody thinks I'm going nuts right now.
0: I <laughs> like your my other folks, too. And
1: family, and I mean not my family. They're very. I mean.
0: People, my dad thinks I'm going overboard. people going, who don't you know, people who don't walk walk Christ. with the Lord think uh, you're crazy. Okay, and so I mean, my
1: husband, I mean, he goes to church with me sometimes, but he's just not there. He's not on the level that I, I'm trying to get run this other direction back, and I feel like I'm everybody thinks I'm mm-hmm. some fanatic or something because I'm diving into it that I feel like I need to.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, and, and again, John and no, John in first John, I mean, one of the things he says um, is he says he talks about, you know, that do not be surprised if the world does not know you. If 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 they think that you're crazy, if they think that you're wrong, if they think that you he says, Hey, don't be surprised because they don't know me. And he says, Hey, if they if they don't know me. You know, don't be surprised that if they don't believe in what you're doing, is of sound mind. And Jesus also, he went even farther, and he said, "Hey, if the world hated me, they will hate you also because of me." And, and that, that is, and that's also, that, that's one of the one of the tests of assurance that John gives us, because he says, "Hey, the, the world will think that what you're doing is crazy." The world will think, and how you're living is nuts. That's
1: um, my daughter's thing. I feel it exactly
3: like that.
0: So I mean, and so and I think also uh, another thing to, to take assurances is, is that you know the church at large has done all of us a, a disservice when we shun those who are walking in darkness, we shun those who aren't believers when we take this idea and cast out people who are not believing the right, believing rightly or behaving rightly to where we say, hey, y'all, y'all need to go somewhere else. Like, this is the churches of a bunch of perfect people who who live perfectly. You know, and when I say the church, I mean just the local church at large. Um... And and one of the things the church is, needs to be a place of, is a place that we can be honest with God, that we're a bunch of imperfect people who serve a perfect God, That's no matter what our past is, whether it was last night or what our past was ten years ago, that God's grace abounds and it is sufficient. And then one of the places I feel like all of us need to spend time doing is spend time reading the Psalms. These two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. And two thirds of the Psalms are David and others spending forty verses on God. You feel distance from me, God. I do not feel you, God. I feel like the enemy is abounding around me, Lord. I, Lord, I feel like I feel like. Um, Uh, I feel like you've forsaken me. I feel like my enemies um, are all around me. You know, all these different things. And he'll write 40 verses, you know, lamenting to God, feeling like God is distant, feeling like God isn't answering Him, feeling like God isn't showing up. And then at the very end, he says, you know, but I trust that you are good. You know, and the local church a lot of times says, hey, it's not okay to question whether God is in... This illness. It's not okay to struggle with this idea of God. Where are you when a mother gets cancer, um, and then two months later her husband passed away? You know, which happened to Sweet Ann Piper. You know, and then what God wants us to realize is that in our lives, it's okay for us to wrestle with questions with God and with others. But what he wants us to do is not to rest in those questions and that disbelief, but he wants us to take that, that disbelief and that questions and say, Okay, Lord, help me believe. You know, and say, Lord, I, I I'm questioning if I can if you forgive me for me denying you. I feel like um, you know, even Jesus says that the unforgivable sin is to blaspheme and deny the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, what that means is that you would continue on in all of your life and and never accept the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to cause us to believe. So therefore, if someone lives a life and dies without trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit, which is trusting in Christ's life and death, death and resurrection, that is the unforgivable sin. Because the only unforgivable sin is to not trust in the provision of the Father. And so, but if we think that we go through, we have a season, so we we trust in Christ and we have a season of denying Christ, you know, it's like, okay, wait, denial of Christ is the unforgivable sin, so can God forgive me? And, And what Christ wants us to know is that Even that idea of denial of Christ, not confessing Christ, saying that this idea of Christianity is a sham, Christ wants us to remember, hey, if you you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We, if we sin, don't sin, but if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You have Christ that stands before the Father on a, on a regular basis. And, and Satan and this world and even our sinful flesh kind of accuse us on a regular basis. And, and Christ is standing before the Father. And He's not saying, hey, they, they're not sinning. They're not they're not unrighteous and they're not unworthy. Jesus stands before the Father and He says, you know, He says, Kayla, you are completely unworthy of Me. He says, Rick, you are completely unworthy of Me. He says, Ryan, you are a sinner. And even your good works are filthy rags before Me. But then Jesus lays down His portfolio before the righteous judge, the Father, and He says, but I paid for it. My blood covers all of it. And so therefore, they are clean. And so for us as a believer, it's not that we stand before the Father. And I think sometimes as we share the Gospel and talk to people about like Christ, we want to tell them, kind of hey, when God sees you, He sees you as perfect. And yes and no. We've got to make sure that we're clarifying within our language. When God sees us, He sees us as wretched sinners. But through the blood of Christ, we are perfect. So it's not that God doesn't recognize that we're a bunch of messes. God fully recognizes that. But Jesus, like in a court of law, stands before the Father. And even as Satan and our own actions kind of build a huge case against us, and Satan says, look at that, you know, he, he's, he's struggling with lust again. He's, you know, they're dealing with this. They're dealing with disbelief. They're dealing with um, control, you know, and, and wondering if their baby's going to be safe in a used car, you know, and whatever it may be. Um, you know, whatever it may be, you know, he stands before the father and he says, "Okay, yeah." They're they're trying to take the reins again, but. The portfolio of my blood is laid before them, and they stand righteous. And again, that's what I want to continue to come back to is that is the bedrock. Because we're going to start talking about some you know some stronger language about these kind of secondary pillars. But what I want all of us to recognize is that these secondary pillars are secondary. The bedrock of our salvation is Christ and what He's done. Okay, so that that's where kind of we'll go. So any other like. Questions or thoughts on that? I don't want to, um, you know, th- this outline is just an outline and it can be thrown away and we can go a completely different direction. So there's kind of a second page of kind of where we're going. But anything else kind of along those lines?
3: I think that's really helpful because as I was reading through this, uh, I mean, I, I've been a believer for almost 30 years and So as a very young child, I came to know the Lord and have all my life lived knowing that I can't lose my salvation. But when I read through this and I start to see some of the things that it says, I start to go, wow, there is some really strong language in here that makes me go, um, is this, you know, it says if I do this, that I'm not of God. And so, um, I'm... I'm
2: really encouraged to hear, you know, just your affirmation of the bedrock of what Mm -hmm.
3: things are. And
2: then also just,
3: um, you know, being able to talk through how does that work with the sun here.
0: Yeah. It's it's important that we always rest on that. Um, And that we always come back to that. And that's kind of where we always... um, return to. I'm reading it going,
1: this
2: is making me feel worse. It
0: makes you feel feel (laughs) worse. Yeah.
2: I'm like, oh terrible.
0: Yeah, and so I mean and I think and I think so what we want to hear is we want to hear um, the 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 truth that is in there, the encouragement that is in there, um, and, and then also the admonishment that is there as well. Um, that, that, he's, that He's calling that local church to. And, and then when, whenever we're looking, if we, if we get things out of order within the Christian life, you know, we're always going to make a wreck of ourselves and others. Um, and so we, we, the, the foundation um, of the Bible is, is God. And it is God working through a sinful, broken people to redeem a sinful and broken people. And it is the work of God, and it's the work of Christ that is foundational. And that even, because what we could do is we could take the book of First John and be pharisaical and say, okay, I did something loving today, I read my Bible today, I confessed my sins, I did this, therefore I have intimacy with the Father and my, my salvation is assured. You know, and that's also not it. You know, everything about our life has to flow out of this foundation or it kind of has to build up from this foundation or flow out of this spring that it is about Christ, it is because of Christ, and it is through Christ that we're able to do all these things. Because even if I want to read my Bible in the morning, it's not because of Ryan, it's because of the grace of God. And if I do something loving, it's not because of Ryan, it's because of the grace of God. And if I you know, practice righteousness because of the grace of God in my life, the Holy Spirit working, not because of me. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of a sometimes it's a, it's a win win or a lose lose situation. Because when I sin, it's, it's me. <laughs> when I when I disbelieve, it's because of me. But whenever I do things that are um, worthy of God, it, it's, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And, uh, you know, a, a passage that I've been meditating on this whole last year, I think it's Psalm, um, Psalm 1. Oh, babe. That's my wife. I'm not just calling someone else babe. Uh, <laughs> uh
3: <laughs> I think it's
0: psalm, uh, I'll bring it to you, but it says, What shall I render to the Lord for all that He's done for me? What, What should I do because of all that God has done for me? It says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And so when I think about what Christ has done on the cross and the, and the miracles that He's done in my life, you know, the way that He's blessed my family or whatever else, that we have a healthy baby, you know, He says, what should we do? It's like, don't try to go out and read your Bible more or try to do good things. He says, hey, lift up the cup of salvation, the cup that God pours His grace upon, and call out for more grace. And we just say, God, I need more grace today to want to read your Bible. I need your grace to understand your Word. I need your grace to live in such a way that does not chase after this world or listen to false teachers or get discouraged by other people, but that rests in the bedrock of who you are. I need your grace to love other people well. Because it's only through the grace of God that we'll be able to do any of those things. Um, so let, let's um, jump back in. So, um, and it's only through the grace of God that we will get anything out of this. And so, let me pray for us, which we didn't do earlier. Lord, uh, let us never think that we can do anything apart from you, Lord. And so, we thank you for your grace and your work on the cross, and that through your work on the cross, we're able to have assurance. And so, we pray that you continue to open up our eyes to the truth of this book um, and the truth that you've written through your holy apostle John. We love you, Lord. Amen. Okay, the purposes in um, 1 John. So the purposes in 1 John. You're kind of on that uh, second handout, second page. Um, And sometimes I don't know what you have. Hey, you don't have anything. Perfect. Um, okay, so here, here's one of the different things. We kind of told you to write some Ps next to the purposes. And so uh, one of the things that he is wanting us to do um, is he's wanting to promote fellowship. So that first one is he's wanting to promote fellowship. And we find that in 1 John 1, three. 1 John 1, 1.3. And this is what it says. It says, That which you have seen and heard, that which we have seen and heard, talking about John, we proclaim to you also, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So, again, sometimes the question is is this talking about fellowship kind of uh, in a deeper intimacy with God, or is this talking about? You know, fellowship that only comes through a salvific relationship you know, with Christ. And it's kind of for, for you to decide, but he's wanting to. He's writing these things to promote fellowship within this local church. He's also writing this to produce joy. Um, I love right there in verse 4. It says, And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Now, some of y'all's translations may say so that your joy may be complete. Um, and, and this is one of those interesting ones to where there's a number of trusted manuscripts that say, like, kind of, and then manuscript's kind of just an old, like, original writing that we have. And so there's some of them that say our joy, and there's some of them that say your, your joy, and it's kind of like a little bitty mark that makes the difference. Um, but one of the things that's kind of neat is that... Um, I know, you know, I don't have way well, I have a baby girl, but she's young, so she's not really walking in the truth. She's 13 months old. Um, you know, she's, she's a baby. But, I mean, I know something from just, like, having led ministries, led Bible studies, and also, you know, from hearing from other parents. Like, even for non-believer parents, there's no greater joy for a parent than for their kid to be walking in a way that they hoped that they would walk. And you could see from... John as well, like there's no greater joy, like you you see that it would make sense that it is for John's joy that he is writing these things, that hoping that they would live in such a way that honors Christ so that his joy would be made complete that when he looks at this local church he says, hey, I am praising God and I am full of joy because of how you live, and so he's writing this book with some of this hard language so that their joy would be made complete, and so that his joy also would be made complete and Jesus even talks about this as well. He says, "Hey, you know, I come to you, and I say these things to you, so that your joy, so that you, so that your joy may be the same as my joy, and that your joy may be complete." And that's kind of in uh, John, kind of fifteen through seventeen. And so he wants to promote joy. Uh, he wants to protect holiness. So these are these are five P's. He wants to protect holiness, and that's two one, chapter two, verse one. Happy uh, Mike, why don't you read that two one? My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. So I'm writing these to you so you don't sin. Um, You know, so so what's interesting is you can see see Johnny saying, hey, don't sin. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't sin. We should not sin. Okay, it's like a really strong language. Don't do it. We shouldn't be doing it because that whenever we do sin, we're saying that Christ is not enough. We don't trust in Christ. But then on the other hand, he comes over here and says, Hey, if you do sin, you've got an advocate. And so you got the legalistics that are praising, yes, don't sin. We shouldn't sin. Believers shouldn't sin. And they're like, wait, John, why did you write this that if they do sin, they have an advocate? You know." And then you've got other folks saying, wait, don't sin. That's too strong of a teaching. Yes, if we do sin, we have an advocate. And I think John's wanting to have that tension saying, hey, live this way. But if for some reason you choose death over life, you choose fleeting pleasure over eternal pleasure, you've got an advocate with the Father. He's also he's wanting to prevent heresy. So um, chapter two verse twenty-six, Let's turn the page. Um, chapter two two verse twenty-six. Kayla, why don't you read that? Verse
2: twenty-six.
0: Okay. So he is writing this letter. To Kind of wanting to warn them about those who are trying to deceive them. He's wanting to prevent heresy um, to kind of find its way within this local church. Um, and so within that, like if, he, if he's wanting to write to kind of protect people from believing in something that is false, is it possible that they could believe something that is false and still be of God? He's trying to warn them, don't do this. Is it possible that they could do this and still be of the truth? Absolutely. Otherwise, if, if you couldn't do that, you wouldn't warn someone, don't do that. You know, but at the same time, you know, it is when we are, so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So we don't want to say, hey, I am doing this and I can rest assured that I'm of the truth because I'm, I am doing this. And what I mean is, like, I am teaching, I am believing in something that is false, and I don't have to believe in what is true. I can rest assured in my falsehood. And so I think he's also wanting to say, hey, again, if you do sin in disbelief, it's okay. You've got an advocate. Return to the truth. But also,. Don't be taken away by them. And finally, he we wants to provide hope and assurance for his believers. He wants to provide hope and assurance for his believers. And in this text right here um, is uh, is 1 John five thirteen. Carol, you said you're taking a quick disciple as well. What does five thirteen say?
3: It's a question on the stage that you have heard from the beginning of the Oops, I'm going to go. Uh, no, no, no. I write this thing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life.
0: He wants to give them hope and assurance, saying, hey, so you may know, I write to these who believe in the same name of the Son of God, so you may know you have eternal life. And and I love this. If you go back to chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, we won't spend a lot of time talking about these, but there's a lot of good truth here. You can just hear the hope that he's wanting to give these readers. Um hope that he's wanting to give these readers. Um, right, Natalie, oh, go ahead. So
3: I have a question. About First about, uh, John 5, when I've read this book first before, I know that in a lot of books, that whole stuff, they have you memorize it. It's confusing to me why they have you memorize this verse. Because it seems like it, it's telling me, I write these things so that you can know that you have eternal life. Well, what are these things? And so, maybe it's just that it's reminding you that you need to be in the scripture um, mm-hmm. to remind yourself of what these things are. Um, but the verse, when it stands on its own, has been something that to me goes, Why am I? I mean, great. <laughs> what yeah. are these things, you know?
0: Absolutely. And so what, what's, there, there's two possible answers to that question. What are the these things? Like, whenever it says these things, just from a literary standpoint, you know, high school, college, English, like, what are you, what would we infer that these things is talking about? you know, within this text.
3: Stuff that came before it?
0: Yeah, stuff that came before it, you know, you know, or something that's kind of And So, you know, people either say that this verse right here, this kind of assurance, is either what's right before it, which is 11 and 12. And so, Rosanna, why don't you read uh, verse 11 and 12?
3: And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life.
0: If you kind of, you know, so I, I agree. Like I think you know, you know, quid disciple and NAP press. You know, we should probably add on those two other verses in front of it,
1: <laughs> uh, just to, just
0: to make sure that you know these things. What are these? So, so again, this is speaking to what's the bedrock foundation? What is the ultimate assurance? Is is what according to eleven and twelve? Who has life?
3: He has the son.
0: He who has the son. <laughs> You know, has life, and again, it's not—it's not of anything that we do. It's because of who the Son is and what the Son has done that we have that we may know we have eternal life. And then the other option is, um, you know, that he. But there's a number of other places that it says you may know you have eternal life. I write these things that you may know. Here's how we know. And so, a problem with, and this isn't against navigators or I love both those ministries and have been a part of both those ministries for all of us is that you know it's being able to say okay here's this But the second question that you would ask if you look at verse 11 and 13 it says hey he who has the son has eternal life okay well how do I know that I have the son and that's where these pillars of the assurance that we're going to talk about this time you know during this time come out of because it's like the bedrock is that he who has the son has life It's about who Christ is and what He's done. Well, how do I know, how can I be assured on a regular basis that I have the Son? And that's where these kind of different pillars of assurance that are secondary, they're not primary, but it's kind of the evidence of that foundation. Okay? And so we'll get a chance to talk about that.
2: Yeah. I actually, that's one of the reasons why I think this book is so good. Because I was agreeing with what you're saying. I'm really wired to like be really hard on myself, and so sometimes this book is just like, geez, you know, just it makes you feel. But how, like, and how? Because a lot of his statements that he says singularly are kind of polarizing. You know, like, okay, well, verse 17 in chapter 5, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not leave death okay, great, there's one sin I can do that won't lead me to death. What is it? You know, but just how important it is to take things, it reminds me again to take things in context. Like, saying, I think that's a great idea. You should tell E.D. that they should (laughs) (laughs) memorize the other two verses before just because you can, like, and that's why, because he doesn't have time like he did in chapter 2 to say both sides of everything that he says. And I think Mm -hmm. he does a better he does a more thorough job in it than, like, maybe Paul does or something like that. But that's sort of just why like mm-hmm. this book, more than a lot of other books, makes me go, man, we... I really have to, like... Because I'll hit little stumbling blocks of verses that I'm like, oh, in and of itself, that verse doesn't make sense to me. You know? Yeah. Just
0: oh, no. no, it's just a <laughs> that find out why. Well, yeah. I mean, actually, uh, 11
2: and 12 were about alternate verses. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
3: there's, it, a, there's a study that I think it's called Growing in Christ. You guys did with the, the mm-hmm. volunteers, volunteers so. and I have a coworker that um, I led to the Lord a, a few months ago and was looking for you know I need something that's brand new, and so um, that's what we were going through. The first chapter has this verse in it, and she's like what the crap does that mean? And I'm going, that's a great question. And so, it, it, I think, looking at the two verses before, um, but I think what was discouraging to me is to a brand new believer, they, they need it spoon-fed to them a, a little more than, how do I figure out what these things mean? So. Yeah.
0: And so and, and within this which which is great, and I think sometimes so there's kind of a, a camp and it's kind of interwoven in, in different areas within the local church, is that you know, at some point we we want people to be in our club and and so therefore we can we can preach an easy gospel of, hey, all you gotta do is believe. Well what is what does it mean what does it biblically mean to believe? Like, there's a lot of things that I believe, but does that mean same thing as what the Bible's talking about to believe. And so therefore, hey, all you gotta do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Okay, I believe. Alright. Great. Here's your here's your card that you know write down on here that you believed. Put it in your Bible. Put your Bible, you know, on your dresser, and you know, a few years later you can come back to that and say, All right. You know, September 24, 2011, I believed, and I'm saved. Um, but this idea, we, that's what we do, we have to take holistic not of what does it mean in English with these different words, these different phrases, but what was the author wanting to communicate? And what, did it believe, what does it mean um, in these different things to have the Son to believe? And we've got to, and that's why it's so good to take a holistic approach, you know, from the you know whole New Testament, from a whole book, and say, how do they describe these different aspects of salvation um, and what happens within salvation. Um, so the, the assurance is that you know you also take for that same thing. Just believe, you know. Jesus also said, "Hey, this is what it looks like to be saved: to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You know, that's, that's what it means to be saved: to repent and be baptized, to, to leave your sinful ways." and to acknowledge your life with Christ. And so it's taking a holistic approach of what does that look like? Um, and then also give people a freedom that if they are new in the faith, that they are that there is an aspect of maturity and growing that happens as well, so that we don't expect new Christians or young believers to look like old believers, just like we would not expect our 13-month-old little girl to be able to talk and communicate and read poetry and, um, you know, do all these different things. Um, And that's why there's kind of this holistic approach of, but there's also evidence within our baby physically that she is alive. You know, there's life that is there, just like there would be, even at new birth, there would be evidence of life rather than death within their lives. And so those are kind of some of those uh, those five different ones, um, and when we talked about these uh, before. Um, again, that he wanted to assure them of their indwelling um, of the indwelling God through their abiding relationship with Him. And so, uh, like I said, there's kind of a, a fellow. You know, some people think these are tests of fellowship, and, or tests of genuine faith. And so, just here's. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's not just, I mean, Dr. Constable, phenomenal man, uh, has a great website you can go to. He has all his commentaries on there. He's a professor at DTS. Um, you know, And he teaches from here that this is about fellowship and not about genuine faith. Um, he knows his Bible far more than I ever will. And I acknowledge that. Um, You know, and then there's others from John Piper and other folks as well who kind of say, no, these are kind of tests of genuine belief. Um, I believe both of them are believers. Both of them kind of land on different camps. And like I said before, here's kind of just my thought before we jump into it. That is a little bit of both. The assurance of the believer, and as we look at others, um, and this is outside of that foundational work of Jesus Christ, is a right and growing belief and also a right and growing behavior. This is normative for the believer, which should also be a true test of our increased fellowship and intimacy with the Lord. And so, as a believer, kind of a, a an assurance and a test of are we growing in the Lord? You know, is are we growing in our belief and our understanding and our longing for God, and also are we growing in our behavior um, as well? So, um, but I think that there is this these secondary um, tests are to be able to say, oh, wait, is the Son is us, in us? Do we truly believe? And so here, here's the false teaching. Um, so you kind of have some of those kind of fill in the blanks for the false teaching. Um, and on that, sorry, on that other one, the assurance of the believer is a right and growing belief and a right and growing behavior. Um, and so for the false teaching, one of them we see is that it is, it is okay to live in sin. One of the things that they were teaching as they had kind of left the church there, they were saying, hey, we have fellowship with God. We believe in God. Um, and it's okay that we walk in darkness, it's okay that we sin. And then the verses that I put next to that is 1 uh, 6. So if you go right there, it's 1 6 and also 3 4 through 10. 1 6 and 3 4 through 10. So some of the false teaching that they're saying is saying, "Hey, um, you know, and why don't uh, why don't we read uh, verse one 6 Natalie, why don't you read verse one six?
3: Um, is it, is it we are from God? Uh,
0: walking in light, yes. If we say, sorry, but chapter one, verse six. Sorry, all the way. yeah, the first chapter. I keep on going.
3: Uh, uh, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth
0: okay and so this kind of first one right here you kind of say if we if we say we have fellowship with him so there's some people who are saying hey we have fellowship with God we know God but we walk in the darkness and it's okay that we walk in the darkness john again says hey they lie and they do not practice the truth and so This is one of those false teachings that are there. And you'll see that as we kind of talk about some of these tests of assurance, they kind of loop in with some of these false teachings. So that's verse 1, 6, and 3, 4 through 10. Um, Another false teaching that was going on there is that uh, they believe that we don't sin. You know, that they would be able to say, hey, we don't sin. And that's kind of that second fill-in-the-blank. We don't sin. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 1, verse 10. Kylie, why don't you read uh, 1-8. Chapter 1, verse 8.
1: Um, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make
0: him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so there were some people there that were saying, "Hey, again, we have fellowship with God, and also we we don't sin." Um, and then you kind of hear some of the same uh, truth a little bit later when it talks about um, righteousness and unrighteousness. Is that he says one of these purposes is to protect against heresy in chapter two, verse twenty six. Um. He says, you know, about those who are trying to deceive you, or how are they trying to deceive you? Kind of down in verse 29. So that if you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. And then a little bit uh, earlier, I can't remember where it is, but it says, you know, he who is righteous practices righteousness. And kind of the opposite of that, and kind of what they were saying is that, hey, we don't have to practice righteousness. We're of God, but we don't have to practice righteousness. We don't have to live righteously, which is to live in sin. And so that was one of the teachings that was going on during that time. And then uh, the next one is, you know, you don't have to keep God's commandments. So it's kind of similar to um, it's okay to sin, but you don't have to keep God's commandments. And so in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, Okay, I want
3: you to read chapter
0: 2, verse 4. <laughs> okay, again, you can hear kind of the echo of the false teachers. Like, we know Him, but we don't have to keep His commandments. And the, the greatest commandment that you'll see that they're talking about in this text is to love God, it's to believe in the Son, and to love others. Um... And that kind of goes into this fourth one. Uh, you don't have to love others. So this kind of this next false teaching is that you don't have to love others. And we see this in a number of different places. You see this in uh, chapter two, verse nine. You write that down. Uh, chapter three, verse fifteen and seventeen, and chapter four, verse twenty. Callie, why don't you read uh, chapter 2, verse 9.
2: Whoever
0: says he's in light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Okay. See, and the echo is, hey, we, we, can, we know God, but we don't have to love, we don't have to take care of, we don't have to help our brothers. Next one, number five. Don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. And this is 2, verses 22 through 23. And chapter 4, verse 3. And so some of the false teaching that was going on, and this one right here, within this false teaching... I would say is even more foundational than the other belief and the other behavior. These next two are because this again is on the bedrock of who God is. If you don't believe that Christ is who He is and who He says He is, that comes more into question of you know. Then is is anything else after that matter? Um, And and, you know, so these people were saying. So chapter two, verse twenty two through twenty three you read that?
3: two twenty-two through 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also.
0: Okay, so in their day, they had a group of people who did not believe... That Christ was fully God, um, and in our day we have many people, many different Christian cults that believe that Jesus is not the Christ, that believe that Jesus is not fully God, that believe that Jesus and the Father are not one. You know, and you'll have them. will come up to your door. You know, both on both from a Jehovah's Witness standpoint or Mormons. And then both of them say that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, and you may think, "Oh wait, we're in line. We believe the same thing." But then you have to ask questions. Okay, what does it mean? What do you mean when you say that you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And what they mean is that they believe Jesus, and for Mormons, is a son, a creation, a created being of God, and that there was a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, and that from them came a son, Jesus Christ. You know, even in, even in kind of overall creation. You know, and then, so there's also some of those teachings. So it's saying, hey, to be saved by Christ, you have to believe what is true about Christ. And again, that doesn't mean that there isn't a growing understanding of our belief in all that this book says, but there are some foundations of, hey, Jesus is the Son of God fully God, and fully man, which goes into our next false teaching, that they don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. So there were some within this false teaching, they said, hey... Yes, Jesus is the Christ and He is fully God, but it only appeared that He came in the flesh. Because they believed that everything that was material, anything that was fleshly, was evil. Our spirits were able to be righteous and our flesh was evil. And also, that was great because their flesh could sin, they could indulge in you know, sexual morality, they could indulge in whatever they wanted to, and they could be free from that because their spirits are clean while their flesh goes on sinning. And so they felt like, well, because of that, Jesus also, the holiness of Jesus didn't come in the flesh. It was just um, His Spirit. It appeared to be in the flesh. And so we believe that Christ was fully God and fully man. Um, It's kind of some of those bedrock foundations.
3: Yeah? I didn't take a break earlier in Carly, you're free. To yes, take, take a
0: break. Yeah, you're fine. I
3: <laughs> just <clears throat> I mean, y'all go
0: okay ahead. You're, you're fine. Um, so those are kind
2: of... Oh, the very
0: last Oh, the scriptures. Yeah. Yes, uh, sorry about that. 4-3. Uh, so 1 John 4, verse 3. And Gigi, why don't you read 4-3? It's Gigi and Pappy right here. <laughs> We read four three. Oh sure. She's hard of hearing. Also, like
2: um, that. okay. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you he heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Oh yeah. Okay.
0: You know, and I think I wrote down the wrong verse. Does anyone also have where says that it, anyone who acknowledges that Jesus does not come in the flesh? true. That's verse two. Uh, chapter 2 or... 4-2. Four, 4-2, two. Four, two. Two. okay. The you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come and flesh. Here we go. So it's verse 2 for that one, and 3 was on that he is the Christ. And so, you know, a, a great... Uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a church that memorized the catechisms or the creeds of the faith. Uh, but a great thing to do is to to... Google, you know, the Christian creeds and, and then go back through and read those. And you know, from, from the Apostles' Creed to the Nicene Creed and all those are just basically what they did is they said, Hey, let's take all of the um, truths that we know to be true about the scriptures and let's standardize them, you know, and you know, we believe and you know, in God the Father, you know. I don't even know the rest of it, but Cal you know some of it, come on. Put you on the spot. <laughs> the
2: Nicene
0: one. Nicene Creed? Mm-hmm. What is that?
2: We've been God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven and Earth, and Jesus Christ, the one begotten Son of the Lord. He ascended into heaven, mm-hmm. and then he ascended in hell. <laughs>
0: yeah, and so I mean, and so you can also Rich Mullins made a song called Creed, um, and so it's a great one just to listen to because then you can memorize it to music. Um, so, anyways, so those creeds are really good because they kind of they kind of lay that foundation of hey, what's if I what do I believe? What do what, what I what I need to hold on to? Like what do I need to take a bullet for? You know, and it, they kind of sum it up in kind of a couple sentences. Um, and I'll saying kind of the, the old Christian creeds, that I see in Creed and the. Creed, those are great, just kind of foundational. Kind of, they were even during their days, they're going against false teaching and false belief. Um, so, so, basically, now going into kind of these tests of assurance, um, and uh, one of the things that I, that I didn't do, and you can go and read this later, but verses, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. That's just a great like when you think about the hope that he's wanting and the assurance he's wanting his children, his beloved, his like that that part right there writes with just just a love and a tenderness. You know, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. You know, again, he he's kind of he's not writing people who are. Um, rebelling against the Lord. He's writing these people who are genuine believers and he's wanting to tenderly assure them of their faith. So it's a great text just kind of to see the hope that he's wanting them to have. That's uh, chapter 2, verses 12-14. through It kind of looks like a little... uh, a sigh that he kind of paused, and it's almost like before he went on talking about light, darkness, and sin and confessing your sin, he kind of pauses for a little bit and says, Hey, guys, I'm writing to you, you know, because you know him. He's like, Hey, there's a lot of strong language in here, but I'm writing to you because you know him. Okay, so we'll, we'll spend a good chunk of time here, take another break, and then, uh, um, you know, kind of uh, go on. <clears throat> so, kind of on that next page is three tests. So, I'm going to kind of help fill in the blanks, and then, and then we're going to kind of talk through uh, some of these. And so. Test of assurance. Do you have, um, or are you growing in a right belief? So the first question is, there's kind of two main pillars that are coming out of this bedrock foundation. And one is belief, and the other one is behavior. And so when we kind of say, he who has the sun has life, okay, thank you, John. I appreciate that. How do I know if I have the sun? How, do I, how am I assured that I have the sun? Because I'm confident that He who has the Son has life. How do I know these things? And so, it is a right and growing belief. And so that first one is a biblical belief. A biblical belief. And do you guys have the verses next to them on that one? Okay, great. And we're going to kind of spend our time talking through these. And the next one, so do you have or are you growing in a right belief? behavior. okay and this is not a perfectionist theology. Um, so am I, is there a confession of sin in my life? That first that second one really I guess so number two is there a confession of sin? Do I acknowledge that there's sin in my life? Am I walking in the light? Am I walking in the light? And am I living in love? So these are the, these are the kind of four. So you almost kind of have you have know, two pillars, and then you kind of smaller pillars that kind of branch off out of there. Saying, "Hey, these are things that I need to ask myself," and also as I'm talking to someone else, you know, be able to ask them. And, and so, what we want to make sure we're doing, especially when, so when we're reflecting on ourselves. Um, some of us can have a uh, we can be very hard on ourselves, and we can uh, elevate things that are in our lives or that are not in our lives um, more than they need to be, and more than God wants us to. And some of us can have more of a licentious nature in ourselves and think that you know we kind of forgive ourselves more freely than maybe we should. There's not there's not a sorrow that we feel within our lives, and so the extreme of both of those is wrong. But the balance of both of those is good. There is a godly sorrow. And so, Carly, here's one of the verses I want to hear. If someone needs to help me. 1 Corinthians, I think it's 10. There is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, but a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Um, there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Um, it's always good to memorize where the verse is but if you don't one of the greatest tools instead of buying bible software or anything like that is google if you type in part of the phrase you may get a couple verses but most likely your verse will come up if you don't type in the exact phrase in a bible software it won't come up and so google is your friend
2: what was the reference 2 Corinthians 7
0: Second Corinthians, what? Seven ten. Seven ten. Wasn't even close. That was
2: Corinthians.
0: (laughs) Second Corinthians, seven ten. And so, with that, we want to say, hey, there should be um, when there's a lack of behavior and a lack of right belief or earnest desire for God. There should be somewhat of a godly sorrow within our lives. If there's not, you know, it doesn't mean that. You know, it doesn't mean that we put the stamp of approval that we're not saved, and so we therefore, you know, wallow or whatever. It should be okay. Lord, why? Why am I not? You know, what, what's going on in my life? Why am I not um, feeling the pain that I should? But there's also sometimes that sorrow or guilt. There is a godly guilt, but sometimes that guilt can also be tweaked instead of being conviction to draw us back to the Lord. Satan wants to take that same guilt and cause us to run away from the Lord and to do you know, whatever it is that leads to death. And so I think that's why that verse is such a good one. There's a, there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and there is a worldly sorrow that leads to death. I can commit the same sin, you know, and it can lead to repentance, you know, and that guilt in my life can lead to repentance, and that same sin and that guilt can lead towards death, which is not hell, but just kind of a removal from just where God wants me to be. So those are those two assurances that we um, really hit on. And so let's just kind of, let's work through this, the text, and we'll start first with the biblical belief, and then let's just kind of talk through those. So, um, a biblical belief. And actually, I'm going to. So uh, we've talked a little bit already on that kind of idea of fellowship and why he's writing that you two may have fellowship. Um, let's go to uh, chapter two, verse twenty-three. And so, a lot of these are right on the tail end of the false teaching. He kind of has the false teaching saying, "Hey, no, no, this is what we are to believe." And so, a right biblical belief. Rick, we read uh two twenty-three. No one who denies the father
3: no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also.
0: Okay. And so that biblical belief is, you know, whoever you know you confess the son has the father also. And it's not just this idea of confession. I proclaim that I believe in a son, but it's more of an acknowledgement. And it's similar to what what baptism is. The reason why they wanted believers, after they believed, to get baptized is it was a public confession, a public proclamation that I'm aligning myself with the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That I confess to be true what the Bible and what Christ confesses to be true about himself. And so he who agrees and acknowledges with that has the Father also. So that, that is a, a right biblical belief. And so one of those signs and those questions are, hey, am I believing what is true? Um, you know, about and so that, that is a, a test of assurance. That is kind of one of those litmus tests. Okay, verse uh, chapter four, verse three, one through three. Carly, will you read chapter 4,
1: verse 1 through 3? Sure. Beloved, do not believe every spirit that tells the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, every spirit that, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the... This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you heard was coming, and is now, and now is in the world, world already. Little children,
0: that's good, right there. Us. Perfect. Thank you. Um, okay, and so from there, what's one of the kind of biblical beliefs that from that text that he wants us to take away with? Christ, God, uh, Okay. Yes, yeah, so that Christ is fully God. And fully man, that he came in the flesh. So that's one of the kind of bedrock foundations of our beliefs that Christ is fully God and fully man. He is not another God. There's only one true God. And that one true God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay? A great, you know, I wasn't even going to um, do this. There's not something to write on. Basically, um, if you have. Um, God in the center and we kind of have Father um, Holy Spirit sorry I'll show you what I'm doing the The Trinity? yeah alright so here we go this is what they taught in just a few short minutes Um, Trinity in a few minutes okay So here you go. You've got God in the center. Okay? So the Holy Spirit should be aligned to God. The line kind of got... The Holy Spirit is God. So you can kind of connect a line there. Put a circle around HS. You can put an is God. He is fully God. The Father is fully God the son is fully god okay now you can draw lines to from the father to the son the son to the spirit and the spirit to the father so you kind of have a circle around there and on there you kind of on that line you put an x on each of those the father is not the son and the father is not the spirit the spirit is not the father and the spirit so that's an x right there is not the son The Son is not the Father and the Son is not the Spirit. So this is what we believe to be true about the Trinity. One God, three persons. There's one God who comes in three persons. How does that happen? I don't know. But it's true. And so one of the things we can be confident of is as God tells us in a number of different places is that your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. That's Isaiah 55. And so there's going to be things that happened in this life. Even even with the question of how does, how does this happen with Matt Piper, who passes away, his wife just had cancer, they have a 10-year-old who has autism, and how does this happen in this world? God, how could you let this happen? And one of the things it is, for those, some of those things that are just unknown, we say, God, we, we, we don't know this answer. We, we'll find out later. We'll find out on the other side. But what we do know is that who you are, that you are the one true God, and that you are good. And you're in control over everything. doesn't mean that you cause everything, but you are in control over everything. And so we kind of come back to, we take things that are unknown, and God's okay with us wondering about those. But we rest and focus on what we do know to be true and what's written in here. So, there's the Trinity. There's the Trinity class. Three minutes. Um, okay. Where were we? Okay, so then uh, so uh, five and six. Okay, so um, this is kind of a mixture between both belief and behavior, but chapter four, verse five and six. happy you read that? Little children, you are from God and have overcome it, for he is in you is greater than He who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. You are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from
2: God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error.